Okay, here we go. Making the most of your time. How many of you think you don't have enough time to do what you need to do? You're not a good manager of your time. <laughs> How many of you think you're going to get any more time? Nope. You've got 24 hours, you're going to have 24 hours. I mean, unless you quit breathing, then your time's over on this planet, and then you go into eternity. Okay, so as you think about it, imagine this. I read this illustration, I loved it. It says, imagine there's a bank that credits your account with $86,400 every day. How many would like to be at a church? So every day we gave you $86,400. $86,400. How many of you like that? Yeah, the rest of you aren't awake yet. Well, you know how many seconds are in a day? 86,400, okay? So time is a precious commodity. And God credits you and I with 86,400 seconds to do something with. And I submit this morning, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, and we've talked about from Solomon's perspective, life is futile, life is vanity, life is meaningless without God. Apart from God, it's meaningless. It doesn't add up. But with eternity in mind with Christ at the center then it begins to add up and you know there's no rollover minutes with God I mean you don't you don't die and go hey God but I banked some you don't get it how many of you when you don't sleep and then you try to sleep an extra to try to make up for the sleep deprivation you have does it ever work no I mean if it would then you probably wouldn't come on Sundays you'd be sleeping okay so think about time I, I did a little study on this some of the fallen units of time you're already familiar with, but listen to them. A picosecond, one trillionth of a second, is currently the most shortest period of time able to be accurately measured by man. You're like, do you have a watch that does that? Absolutely not. That'd be a weird watch. How about a nanosecond? It's one billionth of a second. One microsecond is one millionth of a second. Wrap your head around this and explain to me about time. But time's precious. And God gives us time. And while we live and move and have our being and exist, may we exalt the name of Jesus together. And all of us, if we're really honest, we'd go, I've wasted a lot of time. Boy, I have. And I can still waste time. I, I know the principles of God's word. I've been studying Ecclesiastes now for weeks. And I want you to just look here at the, across the top of your outline. It says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. In Ecclesiastes 3, probably the first eight verses are the most popular verses in all of Ecclesiastes, and non-Christians and Christians alike know these verses. There's a time, and there's a time for everything, and there's a season, and it comes, and it goes. Just as we have seasons in life, and we have seasons, and the way the year's divided, we have seasons. And these seasons, I'm wondering what we're doing with them. And like God, listen to what Elon Provine said. Everything in our lives has a season, an appropriate time, not in some random way, but in a manner that's charged with purpose. Spring is the time of what? Beginnings. How many of you love springtime? It's just awesome. Life, resurrection fills the planet. Plants begin to grow. And pollen, I don't get excited about it, fills Montgomery, Alabama. And then you think about the seeds that are planted in this time. They take root during the maturing of the season into the summer period, producing a harvest in the fall that reaps the efforts. And it's an awesome time. Fall still. But then comes coal dismal winter 
and things change and things die. Only to be awakened once again and to be rebirthed as we head toward resurrection of spring. I just love the way God made it. You know, we're, we have seasons in our life. And some of you are in the first quarter, and you're going, hallelujah. Some of you are in the second quarter, awesome. Some are in the third quarter, you're starting to go, hmm, I'm aging. Some of us are in the fourth quarter. And you realize that you have probably lived more life already than you have left to live on this planet. How many of have contemplated that lately? I've been contemplating it a lot. When my friends die, when my family dies, I think about it. When I study God's word every day, God's put eternity in our hearts. We'll see in a minute. I just think about this growing old. Growing, write this down. Growing old is mandatory. I mean, if you live, you just have to grow old. It's not optional. And it's important. And there's dimensions and there's seasons. And it's hard. And it's good. And I'm grateful that seasons don't last. That seasons come and seasons go. And maybe you're in a, a winter season this morning. And I pray that it'll pass quickly for you from death to life in Christ. And maybe you're in the fall season and you're seeing some really good things. But summer, summer is a time of growth and maturity, I think. If you don't believe that, how many have cut the yard this week? It grows, doesn't it? The rest of you need to go home and cut your grass, okay? But summer, things, things grow. They're tough. There's visible, there are invisible realities in time. There's an invisible kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom that God has come to establish in our hearts. And yet we work in a, in a, a time bound and we get outside of time and it just can get incredibly deep. And philosophers have tried to debate this over the years. And here's the wisest man I told you the last couple weeks. His name was Solomon. And God had granted him all this wisdom. And he knew science and he knew math and he knew agriculture and he knew architecture. And he knew, he knew the word of God. He knew so many things. And he goes, hey, it's going to be tough. It just, it just is. And then if you know anything about Buddhism... They talk a lot about mindfulness, being mindful. Well, 500 years before Buddha, before any of that, there was a guy, his name was Solomon, and he spoke to us about mindfulness and being mindful of the things of God, being mindful of the time that the Lord provides. In a lifetime, there's six months. In, in your lifetime, if you live to be about the age of 70, you spend six months sitting at stoplights. Fun. Eight months going through your junk mail. How many of you, how do they find us? I don't know. We moved less than a year ago. They found us. Oh, help us, Jesus. We spend one year looking for misplaced objects. Unless you're Keith, you spend more. We spend two years returning calls, they say. We spend four years doing housework. Not some of you. Five years waiting in line. Six years eating. Glory, hallelujah. I like that one. If you live to 70, you spend 20 years sleeping. That's a pretty cool activity. 20 working. Seven playing. Five months tying your shoes. That's a good case for having loafers. What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I ain't spending five months time in my shoes. I'm busy. I got something to do with my time. How many of you going to buy a pair of loafers this week? <laughs> I'm a preacher. I'm not a shoe salesman. I just wanted you to know. Although, that'd be pretty good company. There was a great guy. His name was D.L. Moody. He had quite the ministry. This came to me. Anyway, Dr. Leslie Leatherwood put it this way. If you write on a sheet of paper 7 to 11, and your life is 7 o'clock a.m. to 11 p.m., he said it would be like this. About ages 7 to 11, 
You know, and then, you'd, and then you move on to 15 years of age. It'd be about 1025 in the morning. So if you're 15, 14, 15, 16, it's about 1025. If you're the age of 20, it's 1134. If you're 25, it's 1242. If you're 30, it's 153 in the afternoon. If you're 35, it's 3 o'clock. Have I got any of you yet? If it's 3 o'clock, or if you're 40, it's 408. If, it's, uh, if you're 45, it's 516. If you're 50, it's 625. If you're 55, let me stop there for a minute. That's a holy age. It's 734 in the evening. I'm only going to 11. I'm like, ugh, I don't like this chart. If you're 60, it's 842. If you're 65, it's 951. If you're 70, it's 11 o'clock. If you're over 70, according to this chart, you're already on board time. You go, hallelujah. I know some of you are like, I don't like that chart. Get a new chart. Psalm 90. Moses talked about time and how precious it was. Just write down Psalm 90 and read it maybe this afternoon. Making wise use of your time, caught between time and eternity. Life is meaningless without Christ, not working, shape, focus on eternity. If I just deal with time, I'm missing something. I'm missing a lot. I'm missing the Creator. And we have to get eternity in mind. So there's this ebb and flow, the teacher Solomon tells us. And there's things that we like about time, and there's things we don't like. Matter of fact, what I'm going to do is there's things that we're going to like on the list that I'm fixing to read. And there's things that you don't like, and you're going to just go, hey, I, I don't want to participate in that. It doesn't add up. It's bad. The, 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 uh, the ebb and flow, the universe, the times, the seasons, it's just, it's just junky. It's not good. It doesn't give me life. And even the days of our life have been ordained. But what I want you to do is I want you to remember and write it down. God is in control of his world. He's a sovereign king, and he rules over everything. And life belongs to him. Our breath, as we said last weekend, the very breath we draw is a gift from God. Can we say amen? God is from you. And yet, I watch the news, I read the paper, I look on the internet, all kind of media sources, and I think, what a messed up world. Man, just all the things going on nationally and internationally and the crime's up and abortion's up and homosexuality is up and the nation's debt rises every day and immigration issues and on and on and on. I'm going, man, God, it's a mess. It's a mess. But I want you to know Romans 8, 28, we talked about it a few weeks ago when we did the Romans 8 series. And we know that God causes all things to what? To work together. For good to those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. So God's in charge of time. Matter of fact, what I want you to do is, I want you to stand, because I want to read God's holy word, the first eight verses from chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you have the new, new, easy for you to say, if you have the New Living Translation, read along with me. If you don't, please don't read out loud. It will be confusing. <laughs> Here. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace. A time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend.
A time to be quiet and a time to speak and a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. But there's a time. I want to tell you something. There's 28 things he just said here. 28. And 14 are like good. And 14 are not so good. And we live in the contrast and the tension of the two. You can be seated. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Positive, negative. They cancel out each other. It's called Hebrew parallelism. It's an antithetical parallelism, if you will, if you really want to get into the scholar of the Hebrew language and stuff. But it's, it, it breaks down. And, and, these, and these two ideas are in are opposing direction of one another. But they're life. And every one of you sitting there today, you're going, mm, I'm there, I'm here, I'm here, I'm there. And the thing is, it doesn't ever stick on one. The pendulum is always moving. Life is unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. It's uneven. It's unexplained. Sometimes it seems unconscionable. It's just life is just tough. Every activity under heaven is marked. How many of you believe all the activities are marked under heaven? I do. According to what we just read from God's holy word, God marks this. One said that, 365,340 will be born today on the planet. 147,276 will die. So that means we're growing faster than people are leaving the planet. So the world's growing in terms of population, in terms of the need for the gospel. And yet, I want you to write a verse down. I love this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews 9 and 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, there to face judgment. We are all breathing here today. Watching on the line. You're breathing. Hallelujah. If you're not breathing, call 911 quick. But you're destined to die. You're destined to face your judge and have an appointment with a holy God. And as Jeff proclaimed boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Let's continue to move through this. Choosing, you know, his grace it's prevenient. It, it, it pursues us. God goes after us. God woos us. God draws us. God calls us. Are you glad God has called you by name and you're his? If you're in Christ, you're glad that you're chosen. If you're not, you're like, oh, man, what a tough place to be. As I think about that, we, we're born and we die. But then we have, can have a second birth. That's what Nicodemus said. Hey, Nick, you got to be born again. And when you're born a second time, then you only die once. You don't die another time. Because you're born to live forever with Christ. Let's look here at 3.3. So this time to born, plant, harvest. A time to kill, a time to heal. I was just thinking about it here. Uh, uh, in, in Hebrewic, in, in these times of Scripture, ancient world, capital punishment was much stronger than it is today. And there was a time to be born and a time to die, and there was a time that, you know, people took your life for things you did. Did you know that every seven years your cells die? All your cells in your body completely die out in seven years. Here's the good thing, hopefully. Then you get new ones. And somehow by the wisdom of an infinite, powerful, all-knowing God, 
they connect with the past and they remember and they have that, but they're new cells and they link and then you go on and there's that memory bank of the old cells, I guess somehow it gets translated to the new cells and then you move forward and then another seven years you get a, a, a new cell group and another seven. So if you're 21, you've had like three sets of cells and if you're like uh, old, you've had more than I can do math on right now, okay? Just lots of development in us. But you know what they also tell us about growth and development from a baby to an adult? That at the age of 19 is the pinnacle of our development, and after 19, we go downhill. Now, is that a depressing thought, teenagers, or what? You're looking at yourself going, brilliant am I, good-looking body do I have, but at 19, I'm starting to die. How many are getting, and, and if you're like, way over 19, you're going, ugh. But how many of you believe that? I do. Remember what you did when you were 19? Are you still doing those things now? Probably not. Okay. It's just, you know, you're just getting weaker. Look here. Verse 4. A time to cry and a time to laugh. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes you cry. Sometimes people don't have the ability to cry, and it's a tough place to be. And um, there was a thing put on us on an older generation. They were taught one of the most ridiculous things. Big boys don't cry. My dad, had he lived... He would have been 88. He was a part of that generation, World War II veteran, gave his life, fought, Purple Heart, all that for America. He didn't have a lot of emotion, but I, I watched him toward the end of his life as Christ became real to him. He cried with me several times. And I began to see that, and it was okay. And some of you are like, well, I don't cry now. Are you, are you proposing that we cry? Sometimes you need to cry. I remember one time in youth ministry, I was meeting with a teenager Kid came up to me after a meeting one night. He says, can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. He goes, I'm stuck. My emotions are stuck. I'm in a hard place. He goes, I haven't cried in 12 years. I said, what? He said, my mom died. I've been mad at God all this time, and, and I'm stuck, and I, I can't cry. And I remember we began to walk through things, and we began to pray. And I remember when about three months, he came to me one day. He goes, I had my first cry yesterday in all these years. I've had a breakthrough. There's a time to cry, folks. You can suppress it. There's, I won't go through the stages of grieving like we learned in seminary, but basically one of them is you're going to cry. You're going you're gonna to lament. If you don't lament, if you don't cry, you're stuck. So get past that. God, it, it, let me tell you this. If you don't cry, it wrecks your nervous system. How many of you want to wreck your nervous system? I don't think so. You want to take care of it. But let me say this, then there's a time to laugh. And I'm glad God makes us and he creates laughter and laughter is his creation. But he... I want to ask you, have you ever laughed at the wrong, inappropriate time? That is weird. Awkward. So turn to the person next to you and share your awkward moment. That would be fun. I'm not going to get you to do that. That'd be a great way to empty the house this morning. Just turn and share your awkward laugh. And then some people just laugh all the time. It's a nervous laugh. Okay, so look here. So a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance. Aren't you glad that God has created in their rhythm of grieving, but also dancing? How many of you like to dance? You like to dance unto the Lord. You like to dance. You're, it's a celebratory movement. Yes, God, thank you for that. I embrace that. Hello to that. God, I trust. And then he, he says here, in, uh, moving, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones. There's just times that we, we gather stuff. And it's good. And there's times that we give it away and we release it. And we scatter it to the four into the earth, I don't know, but maybe you're in a gathering season. Maybe you're in a time that you're supposed to scatter some stuff. Just a proposal to you this morning to think about.
um, gather. Makes me think about my garage. Have, has anybody ever gathered stuff in your garage or your closet or your office that it needs to scatter? Some of you have not been around me. I, 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 have, uh, I have a lot of systems. I have uh, some neatness, organization in a lot of ways. In other ways, I like to hold on to stuff too much, and, and sometimes I filled up whole trash can bins. But, I, I, but there's a time that we just need to scatter. We, we need to let go. We need to get rid of it. And some of you are like, Brother, I ain't saved nothing, man. I mean, you know, I get a medal and I just give it away. Hey, here we go, you know, whatever. Like every sermon that I've ever preached, all the scholarship, everything that I've ever done, I have a folder on every single message that I've preached. Because sometimes I go back and I want to study and I want to go back and look at some things that maybe I didn't use here or maybe I want to use again or maybe God was teaching me. So I have, I have four monster, four-drawer filing cabinets back in my office. It, it's, it's crazy. And the other day I was thinking, if I live to be an old man, there's going to be a need for some more filing cabinets to come in. But you know what's really funny about it? I thought about this the other day, but it wasn't funny to me. Let's say I die next year. Now, I'm not being prophetic, but, I, you know, just like we did. If I died next year, y'all would come in and probably take all those folders and just throw them away. And I would come back and haunt you from the dead. Just wanted you to know that, okay? Because, man, it was gathering, baby. Gather stuff. Gather, gather, gather. And then, and then look what he says. A time to search, a time to quit, a time to keep, a time to throw away. We just talked about it. And a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. And some of you are like... Praise God. Could it be that it is now time for you to be quiet and for us to go? Not hardly. It's still early. Okay. And then he says, and, and this is the, the hard one. He said, there's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, a time to speak, and a time to love and a time to hate. A time to love. You're like, hey, I like to love. Yeah. Love kids. But then he goes, there's a time to hate. There was a guy that was impacted by John Newton, which wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And there was a great movie by him that John and I watched a few years ago about Amazing Grace by William Wilberforce, or Wilbur William Force. And he basically, he was the one that abolished slavery or was responsible for that in England. And so he hated slavery, hated what it did to the dignity of man. There was a guy in our country, his name was... Abraham Lincoln, and he, and he took them on, and he won, and he wanted to abolish slavery. So there's things that we need to hate. We need to hate sin. We need to hate crime. So sometimes you're like, I don't understand this. God's love. God is love. God is just. But there's also a time for us to hate. But you and I can get out of tune with God's timing if we're not careful. It's hard to stay in sync with his timing. That's why this book and a daily appointment with the Father is necessary to grow in Christ. And to keep short account of your sins and confess. There's a time to make peace. But if we continue to quarrel, there's a time to be quiet. But we spoke. There's a time to speak. But we kept quiet when we should have said something. There's a time to pray. But we watch television. There's a time to go to church. But we surf the net instead. There's a time to relax and be with our families. But we continue to work. But there's a time under the heavens, under the sun for us to do things. How many would agree with that? There's a time for everything. There's a time. And you have to talk to him and say, Lord, help me to discover the time that you're on and where you want me and I want to walk out with you. Solomon, when I read this, and I'm not going to cover every verse, Solomon had the ability, because he was wise, he asked great, great questions. He really did. And 
He wasn't saying, let's just disconnect with life. Let's just grit our teeth. Let's just endure it. But he said, let's get to know our creator. Let's get to know God. And what I've learned, there's only one way to add value to your life and to add purpose and meaning. It's a relationship with Jesus. Now, you can have purpose in this world, and you can accomplish great and noble things. I'm not saying that you can. You can do all that without Christ. You, you can. I know many people that have accomplished noble things in their life without being a Christ follower. But at the end of the day, they're not eternal. They're not going to last. And I'm saying, God, if you really want beauty, God's placed the desire for eternity in everyone's heart that only God satisfies. One writer one time said, there's a God-shaped hole. There's a vacuum in our heart that can only be filled with the presence of God. But as man, we long to fill it with non-eternity things. And you could be there today, you're just trying to fill it with stuff that's just not giving a lot of meaning and uh, you're like, God, I, I, need to, I need to take hold of you. I, I need to trust you. L look on there. He goes, a time for war, time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed us, on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted the eternity in the human heart. I love this verse. I think you could propose uh, an evangelism model from Ecclesiastes 3.11. Have you thought about eternity lately? Have you thought about God and the, the Word of God says that God is His idea and that God has put eternity in our hearts. And I'm just wondering, what, what are we doing with that? Like, God, am, am I thinking more about the, the stuff of this world, the non-eternal stuff, the meaningless stuff, and it's easy to get consumed with that? Or do I have one eye on eternity? And I'm, I'm thinking about the things of the kingdom. We started 2014. I did a whole series called Kingdom. I, I wanted us to think about the kingdom life. But then he says... Every, every, everything is beautiful. Now, I've, I, you, there used to be this song when I was growing up. I almost sang it. That would have been a mistake. But anyway, you know, you know every, everybody's beautiful. Everything's beautiful. And it was a great song. And then there's other people talk about, oh, everything's beautiful. And they go, no, everything's not beautiful. How about war? How about this? But the Bible teaches under God, under his rule, that God works all things for good. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the most horrific thing that's ever happened. It was, it was horrendous. It was murderous. It was slanderous. It was accusatory. It took the life of a man. It was, it was injustice to the max. It was the crucifixion. And Jesus gave his life up freely. And through that horrible act, these people hated God's son. The religious leaders We'd say, no, put him out of the temple, put him to death, put him away. And that he was hated so much, he was murdered. And yet God says, through this horrible act, through hate, I'm going to provide the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins through my son. And therefore, the most horrendous act, the crucifixion, became the most beautiful cover for our life that bridged us to the Father. Can anybody say glory to God? Yeah. I mean, man, the cross, I mean, there's nothing worse than that. And yet it purchases salvation. So God makes it beautiful in his time. This mysterious provision, providence of holy God, where atonement comes, I'm still trying to get my hands around it. I, I, I just cannot contemplate it. You see, it'd be like this. Some of you like puzzles, and you love puzzles, and the bigger, the better. The bigger, the more frustrated I get. But you, you take the pieces out, and you get them on a table, and you try to fit them together in irregular pieces. And some of you are really gifted. And when it begins to take a shape, you get excited. Well, you know what? I think our lives are like a puzzle. 
I think they're irregular at best. And sometimes I even think a few, have you ever put a puzzle together and a couple of pieces were missing? You know when you're with your little kids and you go, hey, let's put all the pieces to the puzzle, Johnny, Susie, back in the box. Because, you know, you want somebody else to do it. I mean, have you ever put a puzzle together and you had three pieces, three pieces missing? It, it's not very fun, is it? You know what the thing is about our God? He sees and he knows it all. And he takes all these pieces and he puts them together. He even makes bad events beautiful in his time. He weaves them into the tapestry of him. You know how I know that? There's a story in the Old Testament about Joseph. And he gets sold into slavery. He gets thrown into a pit. His brothers do him wrong. They lie to his father. His father grieves about him. He's falsely accused. He's sold in a Potiphar's house there and, 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 and gets falsely accused you know, against his wife. And, and then they come to him and he interprets a dream because this guy has wisdom, has the ability from God. And yet, because it looks so bad for Joseph, ultimately God raises him to the prime minister of the land his high office, and he's able to spare his brothers eventually. And God took irregular, hard things that were not good, and God used them for his good and for his glory. And here's what I'm submitting to you. Life stinks. Life is hard sometimes. But do you believe, I do, that God can take the hard things of your life and he can use them for the glory and for the building of his kingdom? Amen. Now, I'm fixing to get off script. Uh, I, 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 oh, man, I ain't got those points. Uh, i got to tell you this, because this, this verse right here is going to make sense when I'm, when I'm fixing to tell you. A few weeks ago, I was called on a Sunday afternoon by a good friend of mine. He says, Keith, can you come to our school tomorrow and speak to our coaches and to our team? We've just had the death of one of our coaches, Philip Larson Kirkin, the great Auburn football player. I said, sure. I walked into a room with coaches that were usually filled with life in their they were sad, and they were crying, and they were hurting. And then I walked up to their star athlete, and he just cried all over me, and I spoke life to him and prayed for him. And then they said, now we want you to speak to the team. And I walked in, and I spoke to lots of kids in a locker room. And I'd ask God all day, God, what can I say to those kids? How can I bring comfort? How can I bring Christ? And God said, tell me your story. And I opened up. I said, one day there was a nine-year-old boy. And he was in a car with his mom and his grandfather. And he was on Highway 82 West, headed. And his mom touched the brakes that day. And when she did, the car went spinning out of control. And when it did, the car was crushed. And the, the woman was thrown out of the car and killed instantly. And the grandfather was crushing the car. And he was killed instantly. And there was a little boy in the back seat. And God rolled the seat over him. I'm that little boy. And I began to tell my story, and then I began to talk about Ecclesiastes, and I talked about Romans 8. And it was so cool. For one of the first times, I've, I've had those moments before, but for one thing, as horrible as it was as a nine-year-old boy to lose my mother, and I still don't understand the fullness of it, I was standing in that locker room with sweaty boys, and I was looking at boys trying to hold on to something about the meaning of life and death, and how can anything good come out of that? And God began to say, I want to use your brokenness and your pain to minister to kids. And I just flowed with the Holy Spirit. It was an incredible moment of God. How many of you believe that God can redeem stuff that's been tough in your life and use it for his glory? Yeah, I would have never chosen that. I mean, you know, I didn't know why I lost my mom. I still don't totally know. But in that moment, I said, God, this is beautiful. 
These kids are facing death, some of them for the first time. They want answers and they want to know. So a couple points. It leaves you a couple options. You can trust God that he's made moments according to his plan. Or you can despair this life and get bitter at God and say life is ugly and walk off. I submit to you, follow the first one. <laughs> Lord, these are your moments. They're beautiful in your time. Time never gets away from God. He has a perfect plan. He's, we're hardwired for connection. Look here at the three things to take away quickly. Seize the day. Seize the day, the, the opportunity at hand. Lord, what is it that you want to do? Lord, I, I love what the Word of God says to us here about seizing the day. It simply just tells us in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of the opportunity in these evil days. Redeem the time. Just right down there. Seize the day. Redeem the time. God, I want to honor you. I want to do something. The second one, slow down. The greatest spiritual obstacle for me and for you this morning, this afternoon, and next week is busyness. Slow down. Get to know God more intimately. Spend time in His presence. Bill Hybels, the founder of Willow Creek, which we're a part of the Willow Creek Association, he says, when we're out of breath, there's no room for God. Listen, when we're out of breath, there's no room for God to take our breath away. I want God to take my breath away about his goodness and his majesty and how awesome God is. How about you, church? Do you really? Do you want God to just stun you? To blow you away? Then seek him. Mark your calendar. Connect with other believers. And look at the third one. Look beyond this life. Look, look beyond Look to eternity. Live in the hard times, torn apart. Feel like you're dying. You can't imagine what God's doing, but you face the difficulties and you go, but I choose to look beyond this circumstance and I look into the Lord. I raise my eyes. Psalm 123, 1 and 2. I want you to look at this verse. Psalm 123. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their way or their eyes on their master and slave girls watch their mistress for the slightest signal. But here's the whole thought here. Lord, I take my eyes from here and I look up. My help comes from above. Folks, if you don't remember anything I've said today, look to the hills. Look to the Lord. He is our deliverer. He's our defender. Without him, we have no hope. Living far from God, Solomon would just say, guys, I recorded it for you, but live it apart from God, and you'll be empty, and you'll be meaningless, and you'll be frustrated on your best day. And try to go fill that void with life and materialism and pornography and power and video games and gambling and books and cell phones and relationships and just fill in the blank. Fill your life with all that, and it'll be meaningless. But look to me. Look to me. Focus on me. And then you'll, you'll find life's worth living. A.W. Tozier, team's going to come quickly. A.W. Tozier said, time is a resource that's non-renewable and it's non-transferable. I can't give my time to you and you can't give your time to me. Time is a gift from him. In the 1970s, when I was a teenager, there was a fun artist that we liked his music and his name was don't mess around with Jim, Jim Croce. And he had that great song, If I Could Save Time in a Bottle. 
I'd like to do it. I'd save every day till eternity passes away. Do you know what's interesting about that song? It was a great song. Everybody sang it. I mean, we all knew it. We could all, you want to sing it now? No, we're not. Okay. You know what's interesting about that song? Jim Croce died at the age of 30 in a plane accident. He didn't have very much time, did he? He couldn't save it. We can't save time. Our days, our time is ordained by the Lord. So don't waste your minutes. Don't waste your hours. But God, I look to you. So let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for the word that is alive. And I believe that when we were yet still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, according to Romans 5, 6. And the Bible says, Behold, now is the acceptable, town, the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So right now, Lord Jesus, this could be somebody's time marked in eternity for them to give their heart to Christ, to surrender to him. The Bible says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So we've got another great song of worship. But I believe somebody is going to get saved right now. I really believe that. Maybe several. I would invite you to trust in the person of Jesus Christ, the one that was perfect and holy, the righteous son of God, to take away your sin and become your Lord and King, your master. Would you receive Christ today by faith and walk with him and say, Lord, I've got eternity in my heart. And today I've been convinced that life is not meant just to live it in this time horizontal, but it's meant to live on the vertical. So I'm going to live for Christ. I commit my heart to you. If anybody is willing to make a prayer or something like that today, I'm going to be right down here. Just come see me.